Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. In a few minutes, you'll be hearing from Mark Paul of the Irish Times, who's been attending the Web Summit in Lisbon this week. And later in the show, uh, we'll be looking back at the 10th Irish Times Innovation Awards, which were held this week in the RDS. And you'll hear from Danny Ford of Atlantic Therapeutics, who won the overall award. Now, Paddy Cosgrave's Web Summit celebrates its fourth year in Lisbon this year with 70,000 people attending the four-day tech expo. Uh, Mark Paul has been there covering it for the Irish Times and he joins me now on the line. Mark, you're very welcome. Hi, Karen. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Very well. Now, uh, let's start with uh, Brad Smith, uh, the Microsoft president, who's been speaking today at the Web Summit and he had some very harsh words about Ireland's performance in terms of broadband coverage. That's right. Um, Brad Smith was talking in general terms, I suppose, about um, 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 the ethics of the internet and the ethics of technology and artificial intelligence. But he also spoke about people being left behind by technology. And he used the example of Ireland, um, um, funnily enough. Um, now, now uh, y- if you can picture the scene, Brad Smith at this moment is talking in front of ten or 12,000 people in the Altice Arena in Lisbon. Um, you know, it's, it's the centre stage, so all the main investors are here. And Brad Smith is telling them all that Ireland is falling behind in broadband. Um, he pointed out that over a million people um, in Ireland do not have access to broadband and he used Ireland as an example of a, of, of, of a country where, where governments need to move faster on technology because of course you know, you know with technology and, 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 and with the future of technology and, and, and with the way um, and, and technologies are, are inveigling their way into every aspect of our lives people who don't have access to broadband in future he said Brad Smith said um, won't have the same job opportunities they won't have the same opportunities to access services like medicine and so on um, and, and he really urged the Irish government, I think, to, uh, to move on and, and get broadband done. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no doubt that there are issues with broadband and, and the speed of broadband in this country, particularly in rural areas. But it strikes me, he said, he has uh, slightly over-exaggerated how many people don't have it. I mean, a million people, I, I really don't buy that. It's 20% of the population. And there might be a lot of uh, parts of the country that don't have very fast broadband, but I really don't buy it that a million pe- people in Ireland don't have access to broadband of any description. Well, this is the figure that he put in front of everybody at the Altice Arena. I mean, um, uh, you know, he, he, he spoke as well at the Digital Summit in Dublin uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, I mean, look, Microsoft is pretty familiar with, uh, uh, with Ireland. It employs 1,500 people uh, uh, here or, or in, our, in our country. Um, so, look, these are the sort of discussions you imagine are also being held uh, at a sort of a top level as well between Microsoft executives um, and the government, if, if indeed the company has concerns over it. Um, but, look, I mean, I mean, I suppose maybe you can quibble about the numbers is it a million is it a half a million is it three quarters of a million it's certainly a lot and in a developed nation um, 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 one that sort of styles itself as the Silicon Valley of Europe um, you would imagine that broadband would be ubiquitous uh, uh, in our uh, in, in our country I mean one of the things that Brad Smith said was that in you know he, he in, in, in five or ten years time he said that internet access would be ubiquitous in the way electricity is and what he meant was that um, all devices all the time everywhere would be hooked up to the internet in some way shape or form it wouldn't be a case of accessing the internet or logging on. The internet would just be there in the ether, um, and that uh, uh, you know, if there are areas of the country um, um, where this isn't possible, well, then they can't develop at the same rate as other parts of the country. I think that yeah. was his point. 
Okay. Anyway, the broadband must be pretty good in Leprosan and South Dublin because they spent 135 million euro a couple of years ago establishing a new European headquarters there. Anyway, we'll move on from Brad Smith. Uh, you've uh, listened to another uh, number of other uh, senior people uh, in uh, the worlds of uh, politics and intelligence and technology yep. and so forth. Uh, Michel Barnier being one of them, he's the European Commission's chief negotiator in these uh, Brexit negotiations. And he's some interesting things to say about what might come down the track in terms of Brexit. He did, yeah. I mean, I mean, he was sort of looking beyond the withdrawal agreement, which has been negotiated and which, uh, uh, which you know, is likely to get through the House of Commons if, if Boris Johnson uh, returns to the Tory majority. And, and he was looking ahead towards the trade talks that would then begin. Um, the trade talks will begin at the end of January as soon as the withdrawal agreement um, um, passes through. And, and at the moment, they're scheduled to end um, at the end of next year in 2020. So that's 11 months, basically, for the European Union and the UK to sort out an entirely new trading relationship. And he had a warning for the UK, really. That was the message that came through from Michel Barnier's speech. Um, he warned them that if they try and pick and mix, to use his phrase, EU regulations over trading standards and services, um, that uh, that it will be unfair competition on, on Europe's doorstep and that, uh, in his words, the EU would not tolerate this. It was quite a strident message. Um, so he was, uh, he, he was really sounding the alarm uh, to the UK or maybe marking Boris Johnson's card um, that, you know, the next... Whilst, whilst the, the, the withdrawal agreement talks were tough um, and just because that's done, um, it doesn't mean things are going to get any easier for the UK and that, and that the EU will stand firm in these talks. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, this could, uh, this could pose further difficulties for Ireland down the line. Yeah, it sounds like we could be heading for a no-deal Brexit after all. Um, well, look, it's possible. I mean, I mean, anybody uh, who tries to predict what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, particularly in the UK election, um, um, you know, I mean, I mean, really, you know, Tony Blair, for example, was on stage this morning at Web Summit and, and he was asked to predict the elections and he couldn't. He said he couldn't. He said he, he, he had gotten the Trump election wrong and he had gotten the original Brexit call wrong as well. So he said he wouldn't even go there. Um, but look, nobody can predict uh, the next UK election. Therefore, nobody knows what's going to happen with Brexit. It's just, uh, it's, 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 it's the great unknown. But this seems to be, you know, the, the, the kind of the approach and the feeling and the philosophy I suppose of a lot of attendees at the Web Summit is this attempt always to try and, uh, and, and, and understand the things that aren't possible uh, for the rest of us to understand. Um, you know, one thing that's really stood out for me at Web Summit is how, okay, you can get caught up in the technology of it and, you know, blockchain and, 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 and all the various um, scientific bits of it, um, but really what a lot of the people here seem to be interested in is discussing the big ideas uh, of society, not just the technologies themselves, but what they mean for people. Um, so I suppose what I'm getting at is, you know, a lot of the presentations here and a lot of the speeches and a lot of the talks, they're about big ideas like privacy, like sexuality, like um, 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 fighting poverty or climate change. Um, um, you know, you know from, from, from being a business journalist yourself, Kieran, that you know, when you write about technology companies, they always seem to sell solutions. Um, 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 it's something that's always irritated me. Is, is, is this, you know, they all go, go on about how they sell solutions. The technology industry really sees itself as the solution to everything. Um, but, but this year, I think, maybe Maybe there's a slight discussion around whether or not technology may be the problem uh, in, in some regards in society uh, as, as opposed to being a solution. And I think that's why we're seeing such a focus on issues like privacy and Edward Snowden yeah, was talking that, here and stuff like that. That's actually a theme that Edward Snowden, a former US intelligence official who's now exiled in Russia effectively, that's the theme that he picked up on when he kicked off the conference on Monday evening via a video link. 
That's right. He um, he spoke effectively. What they were asking him about was, you know, the influence of big tech, you know, like Amazon, Google, Facebook, those kind of companies, um, on people's lives through the through 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 some of the issues we've seen arise around privacy and so on. And what he said was quite bluntly. He said the business models of those companies, in his words, was based on abuse, um, abuse of privacy. He says that this sort of uh, personalized abuse of people's data, of their privacy, of where they are, that um, that this has been allowed and that and that it has to change. I mean, he 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 assessed the. GDPR, the European Union um, rules on, 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 on privacy and he said that they were sort of a good first step but he called them a paper tiger um, um, and he, uh, he said that one of the problems with GDPR um, and general data protection rules, um, he says that it's not the protection of data that's the problem, it's the collection of it in the first place. Um, he says that one of the difficulties with GDPR is that it assumes that all the data that's being protected was collected properly in the first place and, and, and you know that people signed up for it um, and, and he was pointing out that really most of the data that's collected on us. We have no clue what's being collected on us. We don't know. It's not that um, it's it's not that we didn't give our permission. It's not that you know we, we've explicitly not given our permission to, to, to not do it. It's that uh, people just had no clue in the first place that this sort of information was being collected. And he says that's what needs to be addressed. Rather than the protection of data, it's the collection of data. That's where the problem resides. Yeah, I think he's probably right about that. Now, who else have you heard from at WebSummit? Um, well, uh, I, I mentioned Tony Blair. Um, um, I've, I've, I've just literally just come from a private meeting with a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, David Coom, um, um, C-H-A-U-M, I've, or, or Coom. I've, I've probably pronounced that um, um, completely wrong. Um, but he's known uh, uh, as the, uh, the father of online privacy. He's a, a 64, 65-year-old gentleman, a, a cryptographer, an academic, um, long hair and a beard. He looks a bit like um, a kind of a nerdy Santa Claus. Um, um, so you can imagine. He, this is the guy who originally... He originally um, um, he's been closely associated with the invention of cryptocurrencies um, and, 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 and you know the father of online anonymity, the father of online privacy. And I spoke to him about about, about, about issues of privacy, and he, he you know he, he said to me just about ten or fifteen minutes ago that he didn't think that governments are capable of fixing these kind of an issues. That the solutions for those sort of issues always have to come from the bottom up. Effectively, he was fomenting some kind of a social revolution against social media companies, against uh, uh, you know sort of in his words the big corporations that. Um, um, that, whose business models are based upon uh, selling our data, our private data, um, and he, uh, he he said that the technology to uh, to, to 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 crimp their style exists, um, the sort of blockchain technology, the sort of stuff that makes people's eyes glaze over because they don't understand it. And to be frank, I don't really understand blockchain te- technology. But what he was explaining was um, uh, was that this technology exists in order to shut governments and big companies out of observing our private data. It just needs a change in behaviour from the likes of me and you to do it. Now, look, I don't know whether he's been naive in that sense. Um, um, you know, I, I, I don't know whether uh, it's likely that there's going to be some sort of a social revolution that will see all of us shift over to blockchain-enabled methods of communication and, 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 and sending currency. But look, maybe he's right. Um, maybe he's right. Um, this is a guy who's been writing about and, 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 and studying and researching these issues for 30 years. Um, and long before most of us even uh, had, had become au fait with the internet, he was, uh, he was writing about the difficulties that would cause for privacy. So these are the kind of discussions that go on here at Web Summit. It's not just about the launch of the latest new product or the latest new gadget or the latest big reveal. And, and Paddy Cosgrave himself at his press conference here yesterday alluded to this. Um, he said that, you know, when, when Web Summit first started in Dublin in 2009, it was all about, um, you know, shining new gadgets, new mobile phones and that sort of thing. But now it's about um, addressing the, uh, the, 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 the main, the, the sort of grown-up problems of society. Um, and I don't know whether that's part of the sort of hero complex, the sort of 
of savior complex that you can see in the technology industry where they think they're you know that they have the answer to everything but you know what maybe they do you know you know looking at some of the technologies on display here maybe they do yeah, sure. And talk to us about Paddy because um, the Web Summit has been on this uh, enormous growth trajectory since 2009, but he seemed to be suggesting at his press conference the other day that it might have reached its limit. It might be at peak Web Summit. Yeah, well, basically, there's 70,000 paying attendees here, right? There's over 2,000 startups uh, taking place. There's, God, I don't know how many exhibitors. There's five huge exhibit halls. Just to describe, I mean, I mean, effectively what Web Summit is in Lisbon, it's split between five different halls, right? So there's the Altice Arena, which holds, holds about 15 to 20,000 people, where you have the big speakers like your Tony Blair's and your Bad Smiths. And there are, then there are four separate pavilions, like four separate huge exhibition halls. And there's all sorts of stuff going on in them. It's like a mad technology carnival and they're all linked together on this one big waterfront site but last year Paddy Cosgrave signed a 10-year deal with the Portuguese government to keep the web summit here for the next 10 years and um, his company will get a payment from the Portuguese government of 11 million a year um, and uh, there's a, a 3 billion euro buyout clause included in the contract so uh, effectively uh, uh, you know web summit is here for the next 10 years what he was saying yesterday was that he felt it had gotten big enough um, 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 70,000 uh, paying guests, 77,000 people in total registered. There's a lot of people here. Now, it runs pretty smoothly. I mean, something of this scale could never run this smoothly in Dublin. I mean, um, for example, uh, I, I forgot something this morning in my hotel, and I got from here back to my hotel on the metro and back here again in less than an hour. Um, and so the ease of travelling, um, 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 you know, Lisbon is set up for this kind of thing in a, in a way that Dublin isn't. Um, and Paddy Cosgrave was saying that, you know, despite all of that, he doesn't want to make it any bigger, he wants to make it wider, he wants to work in the breadth as opposed to the scale of the event. Um, look, it's highly profitable for him, you know, he gets, uh, he gets 11 million quid uh, a year from the Portuguese government straight off the bat um, before he's incurred a single cost. So, uh, it, you know, it's been very, Lisbon has been good to the Web Summit, it's clear, um, 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 and, uh, you know, it looks like it's going to be here for a long time to come, um, but, um, uh, you know, Paddy Cosgrave is saying it's not going to get any bigger than it is, and he just wants to, to address different issues, you know, to, sort of different Different, different issues of content. All right, and you're a web summit virgin, I think it's fair to say. So, uh, is it yes. what you expected when you were travelling there? It kind of is, in 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 a way. Um, I mean, I, I suppose uh, you know, without meaning to stereotype too much, but I'm going to stereotype. Um, um, you know, a lot of the people, the stereotype of people who work in in the technology industry and and, and, and who earn their living from it, is that they're all sort of of a broadly progressive or left persuasion, and mostly younger, um, and, and you know, don't wear ties. That that that, that sort of crowd, and, and that's who's here. Um, you know, for example, I was at a, a debate yesterday, um, and between a former solicitor. General of the US and, and, and a pro Donald Trump um, uh, uh, sort of Washington lobbyist, and they had a debate over whether or not um, 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 he was having a good presidency. And, and completely predictably, um, it was like a Punch and Judy show. Um, every time the pro Trump guy said something, he was almost booed, and every time uh, the other guy said something that criticized Donald Trump, he was applauded. You know, anytime anybody says anything from, from any of the stages that in some way is seen as, you know, positive about gender politics or whatever, they get applauded or they get cheered. Um, anybody who who says anything negative about Brexit gets cheered. Anybody who says um, um, you know anything positive or warm or any sort of a platitude about the environment or fighting poverty, you get a cheer from the audience here. Um, so it, it, it is that kind of. Um, uh, I suppose it is a, the technology industry is a little bit of a bubble. Um, um, a lot of the stereotypes um, um, that we that we have of people that work in the technology industry they seem to be based on some sort of truth. But you know, it's just a huge crazy pageant as well. It's a, it's 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 like a circus or a carnival as well. I mean there. 
there there's a, you know for example there was a, a one company yesterday had a, a, a sort of a 30 second pitch where um, let's say you're a startup and, 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 and there's an investor and you want to pitch him for money uh, or pitch her for money and the two of you get onto this little stage like a cherry picker and it pops you up into the sky and you've got to convince <laughs> the investor to invest in your business before uh, the cherry picker gets back down to the ground there's all this sort of uh, there's a crazy carnival atmosphere to the whole thing uh, it's mad it's, 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 it's unlike any sort of conference I've ever been at before in terms of its scale but also in terms of just the, the amount of stuff going on um, but it seems to work it's making money for Paddy Cosgrave the Portuguese government seems happy with it and he, he seems happy to keep it here Alright finally it's almost uh, wrapping up time if you like at the Web Summit another uh, day or so to go anybody interested in the come? Um, the, the, the big draw tomorrow will be uh, Marguerite Vestager, um, um, European uh, Commissioner, um, who is effectively being given the brief in the new uh, EU Commission. She's effectively being given the role of monitoring big tech um, and, and monitoring all of their excesses. And that's one of the big themes here at Web Summit this year. Is the you know there are debates about um, um, you know should big tech be broken up and you know big tech are the bad guys I think at this year's Web Summit in general. Um, and, and, and Marguerite Vestager should have a lot of interesting things to say about that. Uh, 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 tomorrow. I mean, you know, for anybody who's interested in general celebrity or sports as well, there's plenty of that. I mean, Eric Cantona was here yesterday trying to convince everybody to give 1% of their salary to charity. Um, um, Ronaldinho, um, 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 the, the Brazilian former footballer, uh, uh, he was here as an ambassador for some tech startup yesterday. Um, Ronaldo, um, um, the Brazilian Ronaldo, or Fat Ronaldo, as Alex Ferguson used to call him, um, he, is, uh, he, he was here as well. Paige Van Zandt, a UFC fighter. So there's a lot going on. Um, 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 there, 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 there's a lot of uh, uh, celebrity draws as well as um, substantial speakers, I suppose. Um, and look, that's part of the whole melange, part of the whole pot. And maybe that's part of what makes Web Summit so successful is just having that mix of, uh, of substance, of, of, of pure fluff um, and of fun as well. Great. OK, Mark Paul, thank you for joining us. Now, just to let listeners know that Mark Paul will be filing a big read on his time at the Web Summit in our Friday supplement business this week. That's uh, this Friday. And of course, it'll also be available on our website, irishtimes.com. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to the Galway company that won this year's Irish Times Innovation Awards. Back in a few moments. You're listening to the Irish Times. Welcome back to this Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. On Tuesday night, the 10th Irish Times Innovation Awards were held with five category winners and an overall winner announced on the night. The innovation of the decade, as chosen by our readers, was also unveiled at the ceremony in the RDS. In a few minutes, you'll hear from Danny Ford of Atlantic Therapeutics, who won the overall award and who is related to Ryan Tuberty. Uh, of all people. Uh, but first, I'm joined in studio by Irish Times Innovation Editor Michael McAleer, who is the driving force behind these awards. Now, Michael, uh, this year marks the 10th year of the Innovation Awards. You might just remind our listeners uh, where they've come from and what they're about. Well, basically, on the back of the Innovation Project, we were thinking that not only do we tell their stories, but that we should offer them some recognition and a little bit of competition helps everybody along the way. So uh, this was another uh, facet of the Innovation Project along at the time we were we had the magazine. Now it's part of the, of the main uh, news coverage in the paper and online. But uh, that was the principal idea behind the awards. They took off largely on the basis of recognising the application of innovation, which is what how we define it is basically everyone, loads of people have bright ideas, it's the, how they apply them and do they apply them successfully. And it's recognising the risk takers. And the big thing to remember as well, that 10 years ago we were on the cusp of the recession. So we started these awards and I remember that first year, I think we got about... Um, I think we are in the midst of a recession. I don't think we were on the cusp of yeah. it at all. We were well, 2000, Yeah, we were getting into it and uh, at that stage... Uh, 
our uh, columnist and great friend and innovator uh, Chris Horn was writing about and he was chairing the Innovation Task Force for the government as well and they were looking at ways to recognise innovation as well. So it was all part of that very that principle as well. Okay, uh, so five award winners last night in, in various uh, categories. I'm going to get you to uh, talk through them. Let's set aside Atlantic uh, Therapeutics because we have that interview with Danny coming up in a couple of minutes. Um, well, let's start with IT and fintech. Tell us about FarmHedge. Yeah, FarmHedge uh, based at Dogpatch Labs in Dublin. They've built a technology platform that uh, enables fast and personalised communication across the agriculture supply chain. They've succeeded in uh, securing some significant international contracts with their with their software application and it's a bit like a hub for uh, contract work for example to, to, in a very simple way so farmers and people in the agriculture space can put their products online and and their services or if they're looking for something so it's a, it's a it's a conduit for uh, tendering effectively at a, at a contract level um great idea and it's really taken off and i think it'll go far uh, manufacturing and design manufacturing design was a, a company based in County Mayo, uh, Pell Waste Reduction Equipment, uh, waste, and their Bright Bin, which is a solar-powered uh, compact uh, bin. It's a fantastic idea, and it's really innovative in a highly competitive marketplace. They've secured contracts internationally as well. Uh, in London, you see the bins in Dublin now and in the west of Ireland in several cities. I mean, there's huge growth potential for this company. And it's got a technology in it that allows local authorities, for example, it alerts them to when the bin is full and when it needs to be emptied. So it means that the councils aren't sending um, workers out to empty these bins multiple occasions during the day. and They only do it when necessary. Exactly. And they, they hold, the bins themselves hold 10 times the volumes of a regular bin as well. So the savings, I mean, from an environmental point of view, the savings are not just in terms of the, the compacting and the solar powered nature of it, but also, as you said, in the fact that they dramatically cut down the number of, of deliveries and, uh, and uh, trucks that they have to, the councils yeah, sure. have, to run, now, in sus- have to run. In sustainability, electricity exchange in Limerick was the winner there. Yeah, rather complicated thing, but basically in, in a simple way, it's about fast acting control and metering to maximise the revenues for air grid and for, on, the, on the network. And when you consider the number of people that are now feeding into the network in, in terms of uh, renewable energy sources, uh, that's going to be vital. And particularly, you cannot have interruptions for for big plants, if you think of the likes of Intel and stuff like that, they can't accept even a, a minor uh, voltage change or a change on the network. And that's where this system is perfected. Again, given the, the uptake on renewable energies and the number of people tapping into it and how we're, we're really developing the network, that's going to be a massive implications as we roll out uh, electric cars, for example, and more people sure. are turning towards renewable energy at home. And a Dublin winner of the New Frontiers Award. Yeah, Oranta. Uh, that's a it's an impressive operation. Um, the the real key there is the they're a spin out from Nova UCD, and it's uh, animal feed products that uh, offer enhanced performance. But the key thing is it reduces antibiotic usage, and that's a massive uh, that has huge implications for the food chain. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, and there was also an Irish Times Innovation of the Decade Award, which you allowed readers uh, to decide on. You you picked a shortlist again. Just um, tell us a little bit about that and, and the award that was chosen by the public. Yeah, it was a readers' poll. So we came up with a list of six. It was a it was a uh, between the the final judging panel um, at the Innovation Awards and ourselves. We identified and the journalists within the Irish Times. We identified six key innovations that we thought were important. For myself, I thought it was going to be battery power uh, or AI computing and I know that you were thinking it was going to be smarter phones but it was actually gene editing was what was 
was chosen by the mm. public. Um, and we received over 4,000 um, readers' uh, votes on the, on, in the poll. And uh, it seems that the gene editing and the CRISPR in particular is the thing that caught the public's attention. Okay, which is curious because <laughs> it's not exactly something that uh, people on the streets would uh, be be chattering about. No, but I think it's because uh, when you say it initially, you you do uh, it does uh, involve that that quizzical look about gene editing, really. But the the point is really that it has it's massive not implications. Conversation, put it that way. No, it has massive implications for um, humanity. Basically, I mean, you're talking about something that could uh, reduce diseases, can also uh, dramatically change agriculture in terms of crop development. Um, I mean, the it's boundless. It's, there's endless opportunities in terms of its its application. The big risk is it also contains a, quite a, a few moral implications as well. Because I was raised last year, I think it was, when a Chinese scientist uh, announced that he had uh, edited some of the genes for a pair of twins in China uh, whose father had HIV to pre- prevent them from having that. But you're ultimately talking about the implications are designer babies. Yeah. Well, plaudits for last night's uh, event, Michael. It was great and a great atmosphere in the room and um, uh, clearly a lot of uh, innovation going on in Ireland. Presumably planning has already begun for year 11. Yeah, we're st- we're well underway for that. Um, I think we've got a few ideas in store to uh, liven it up a little bit as well. All right, well, we look forward to that. Now, at the event last night in the RDS, uh, afterwards uh, I spoke to Danny Ford of Atlantic Therapeutics, uh, who told me a little bit about the company and what it means to win the Irish Times Innovation Award. First of all, Danny, congratulations. This must be, it must be a fantastic achievement for you all. It is absolutely, we're, we're absolutely delighted, bowled over, uh, to be honest. Um, I can't say we were expecting to win, but we're absolutely thrilled that we have done. Well, just to go through what you guys do, you've created a non-invasive, long-lasting solution to bladder weakness. Put that in layman's terms for us. That's correct. So bladder weakness, uh, or involuntary loss of urine, um, essentially is a problem that's caused by uh, pregnancy, childbirth, uh, can happen during the menopause, and it can happen for us men uh, post-prostatectomy as well. So essentially what it means is that uh, you leak urine when you don't want to. Um, and how Innovo was able to tackle that is by strengthening and training the pelvic floor muscles uh, to build up their um, muscle tone over time. So where did the idea for this come from? Uh, so what Innovo makes use of is um, electrical muscle stimulation technology, which has been around in one form or another for decades. Uh, in Atlantic Therapeutics itself is actually a spin-out from biomedical research, which people may know as Slendertone. So what we've done at Atlantic Therapeutics is to take that muscle stimulation technology and apply it for um, uh, the indication of urinary incontinence or bladder weakness, as it's also known. Um, and I think the real advantage for us is that it's non-invasive. And that's something that uh, hasn't been a, a treatment opportunity for people with this problem previously. So explain how it's non-invasive. I mean, what, what happens if, if I have a, a bladder problem, I have a, a weakness, I come to you guys, what do you do for me? So what we do is to uh, size you up for a pair of shorts. Uh, they look, uh, for all intents and purposes, much like a pair of cycling shorts. Uh, but within those shorts are eight large integrated electrodes. And through those large electrodes, we're able to deliver a very strong uh, but very gentle uh, contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. Uh, that contraction is repeated 180 times in every 30-minute therapy session. Uh, we initially recommend a, a 12-week treatment intervention, and over time what you're expecting to get is a strengthening of the pelvic floor muscles and improved continence control. Okay, and then your problem is over after 12 weeks, or you need more, you need more work, more sessions, essentially? Well, that's a good question. Uh, the pelvic floor muscle is like any other muscle in the body. If you don't use it, it will start to, to waste away. 
Uh, so what we um, typically recommend is that people continue to use it after that 12-week treatment intervention, to use it once or twice a week uh, as a maintenance program, if you like, so that they can maintain good pelvic floor health. Okay, so how much does this cost? Uh, so in Ireland, it retails for €399, Euro, including VAT. Right, okay. And how many patients uh, potentially are there in Ireland? And is this something you're selling abroad as well? Uh, yes, so we market Inovo in the UK, France, Germany, Spain. Uh, we've recently got Inovo approval to uh, sell Inovo as a prescription device in the US, and we're hoping to get over-the-counter clearance in the near future. Um, this problem affects one in three women and uh, one in ten men. It's a worldwide problem, um, so the addressable market for Inovo is significant and uh, we're very happy with the results we've seen so far, and I'm sure that the Irish Times Innovation Awards that we've re received tonight will be a catalyst for further growth yeah, in the it business. Might be, it might be a handy calling card, all right. Tell us a little bit about the size and scale of the business to date and where you hope to go, go to, let's say, in five years' time. Uh, so today we have about 55 employees, uh, most of them based at our headquarters uh, in Galway. Uh, we also have offices in Germany, uh, in France, in the UK, and in the US. Um, obviously, the US is the big prize for us at the minute uh, with that uh, recent approval. Uh, our um, main strategic focus at the minute is realising the uh, very large commercial opportunities that exist there. Uh, but there beyond must be that, a lot of bladder weakness in the US. <laughs> there is a lot of bladder weakness in the US and uh, unfortunately, yeah, there is a correlation between um, increased weight and bladder weakness as well. So obviously something that's a, a concern for the American market. Um, but thankfully, I think we're, we're very excited about the uh, opportunity to bring Inovo there and offer patients there um, an opportunity to uh, improve their pelvic health. Uh, and we look forward to doing so in, uh, I think, the Asian markets will be the next ones that we will be focusing on after that. And in terms of revenues, how big is the company now? Or where do you hope to get to, let's say, in five years? Uh, so I suppose if you bring it back to the, the prevalence, the one in three women and one in ten men, um, we really don't see a ceiling for where revenues could potentially go, uh, especially when you consider the fact that there is a number of adjunctive indications that we could potentially explore with Inovo, uh, the likes of prolapse, uh, faecal incontinence, even sexual health. Um, at the minute, uh, we are scaling up. Uh, I think the US, as I say, uh, will help us to accelerate our growth. Uh, but certainly if we look five years into the future, I think we could potentially see um, revenues north of 50 to 100 million a year. A year. Okay, very good. And how important is this Irish Times Award for your company? Uh, well, as I say, we are uh, delighted to have received the award this evening. Um, I think it's a validation um, of what we've been doing up to now, um, recognition uh, for the innovation that we've brought to this technology. Um, and I think for us, it will be um, uh, another, I suppose, a catalyst for the growth um, and for the awareness um, of the solution that Innovo presents for this opportunity. Well, Danny, congratulations on the award. We wish you continued success. And maybe you'll come back to us in a year's time or so and uh, tell us how you're getting on. Absolutely. We'd love to. Thank you very much. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Mark Paul, Michael McAleer and Danny Ford. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.